Hi, this is The Gathering Church in Windsor, Ontario, and I'm Pastor Garth Lino. Welcome to our podcast. A caterer was doing a large celebration for a baby christening, and when the caterer saw the young family, she wanted to offer her congratulations to the couple. So she went up to the mom and said, wow, you you look great. You look like you've lost almost all of your pregnancy weight. A little stunned, the mom looked at her and said, "Um, thank you, but we adopted. Yeah, the problems that our tongue can get ourselves into, right? Such a small thing, but often produces big trouble. And this morning, we continue in our teaching series in the book of James, and we're going to be talking about taming the tongue, the power of our words. And James 3, 1 to 12 gives us the most extensive and focused teaching about the tongue and about our words in the whole Bible. And so as we look at this passage this morning, we're going to discover that every single believer in Jesus Christ has been called to control their tongue. Hard as it is, we've been called to control our tongue. Now, I have to admit my own struggle in this area. Just talk to my wife. Yeah, just talk to my wife. It's, it's an ongoing battle for all of us. This sermon is as much for me as it is for anybody else, and it's by the Lord's grace that we, that we proceed and, and, we, and we move forward. So let's take a look here. Uh, James begins chapter 3 with a warning. Then he moves to an explanation for that warning, and then he closes the section of Scripture with an exhortation for the church. So let's look at the warning, verses 1 to 2 in your Bibles. James 3, 1 and 2 says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. So the teacher or the preacher is entrusted with the critical task of opening the scriptures and accurately teaching Christian doctrine to other people. And apparently, in this church, many people were drawn to the office of teacher, perhaps, most likely, for wrong or selfish, selfish reasons, which is what James is addressing. Maybe they liked the status. Maybe they liked the title. Maybe they liked the prestige that came along. Oh, I'm the teacher. I'm the pastor. I'm the preacher. Whatever it is, they were having these wrong motives. And so James lays out this warning. He says, whoa, 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 guys. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on a second. Don't you understand that teachers will endure a a stricter judgment? Now, he's not trying to scare everybody away and say, you know, no one should ever be a teacher or a preacher because, Lord knows, we need more teachers and preachers of the Word of God, especially today. But what he's trying to make abundantly clear is that teaching the Word of God is a serious responsibility. It's a privilege and a responsibility, and it's not to be taken lightly. Don't enter the ministry for the wrong reasons. And one of the main reasons that the teacher places himself under stricter judgment is because his main ministry tool is the very thing that's the hardest to control in his body, which is the tongue. So not only is he accountable for the things that he teaches, hopefully accurately, but then he's accountable for how he lives. Does his life line up with the words? So there's quite the warning then. 
And he says that you could be a perfect man. Does James actually believe that you can attain perfection this side of heaven before Jesus comes back? I don't think so. What he's trying to emphasize is that while we all sin in a variety of ways, all of us in a variety of ways, the reality is that controlling our tongue is the hardest thing to do, and we all fail at that. We all, and come on, hands up if you've ever said something wrong in your life. <laughs> there we go, all right? So he's saying if you can somehow, if you could somehow get to the place where you had perfect control over your tongue, then controlling the rest of your body would be easy in comparison. The tongue is that difficult to control. It's been said that nothing is opened more by mistake than the mouth. Whether it's a four-letter word over here, retaliatory words over there, crude jokes, sarcasm, boasting, whatever it is, it can just go and go and go and explode. We all fail in this way. And in highlighting the universal failing of everybody to control their tongue, James moves from addressing uh, specific current and would-be teachers to now uh, applying this to everybody in the entire congregation. And as he does so, he moves from this initial warning in the first couple of verses to now the explanation of the power of our words. And he starts with verse 3 and 5. He says, our words have the power to direct. Our words have the power to direct. Verse 3 to 5, he says, if we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. So James is using common illustrations of the day to hammer home his point. Small things can have tremendous influence and impact. We, we get this. Our tongue is small, but... It has an amazing power to direct, just like a bit in a horse or a rudder for a boat. We understand this. It's a simple illustration that we get, and that's, that's the beauty of the book of James. It's really practical sometimes. You don't have to go, what does he mean by that? Right? It's pretty clear. Our words affect our life and the lives of other people, whether we realize it or not, for good or for bad. And we should never, ever ever underestimate the power of our words. Proverbs 18, 21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life. Our words can direct towards death or our words can direct towards life. So church, what you say matters. And what I say matters. Like it actually really matters. And as my mom would remind me regularly, how you say what you say often matters even more. That was always my problem. I, I was never the one who like, had a like, super filthy mouth or anything like that, but it was how I said what I said. Still a little bit of a struggle. I need some help. So whether that's how you teach your children, discipline them when they disobey you, or how you talk to your boss, or what you say about your boss to your coworkers, how you interact with your coworkers or your subordinates. What you say when you stub that toe, when someone cuts you off on the road, or when your favorite sports team loses again. 
It all matters, and it all has the power to direct towards life or death. It matters. And as, now as we move looking at verses 6 to 8, we're going to see that not only do our words have the power to direct our life and the lives of others, but our words actually have the power to destroy. Our words have the power to destroy. He says, How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile, sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Yikes. These verses are an indictment against the perverse potential of the tongue. Fire, world of unrighteousness, restless evil, deadly poison. Is that how you generally think of of your tongue and its capabilities? That's what the Bible says. This passage is in stark contrast to a popular saying. Maybe you've heard this one. Sticks and stones will, but words will never hurt me. Who came up with that? Seriously, Scripture is really clear. It tells us that words can and do hurt us, and words can and do destroy. I mean, you think about the enormous and sometimes irreversible, irreversible harm that can be caused by a false rumor that just spreads. It can be harder to stop than a blazing fire. And man, we've learned lots about fire on the news this year. We, we understand the destructive power of, of, of fire and, and the devastation that it leaves. And James is saying, same thing for our mouths. The same thing can happen in our mouths. And more than likely, if you are a person, more than likely, you've experienced this in some way. You've felt the pain of somebody saying something to you. You've gone through that. You've been hurt. And even though we've all experienced the hurt, we're still prone to pour out fiery speech to others. The sad reality is that once words are spoken, they can't be unspoken. Yes, they can be confessed. Yes, they they can be forgiven. But rarely are they truly forgotten. Especially today, digital age. So maybe it's not actually spoken, but it's, it's texted or, or posted. <sighs> Gone. Everywhere. So James not only compares our tongue to a fire, he also compares our tongues to wild animals or poisonous snakes and creatures. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about wild animals and deadly poison, I think about the zoo. That's where, that's where all the crazy animals are, Right? I like going to the zoo. I take my family to the zoo. Does anybody else like going to the zoo? Why why do we like going to the zoo? Because it's a safe place to observe these crazy wild animals and snakes and creatures and stuff like that. It would be a whole different ball game if there was no uh, fences or barriers and you just pay your money. It's like, all right, Jurassic Park style, good luck. Have fun at the zoo. Okay? We wouldn't, I would not take my kids. I, I wouldn't go either. <laughs> right? So the question becomes, 
Those animals, like, would we let those animals and snakes, would, would we let them just run amok in our houses or in our workplaces or in our churches? No, we wouldn't. But James is saying that our untamed tongues can accomplish the same result, can create the same destruction in our homes, in our schools, in our workplaces, in our churches. Words destroy. They can destroy. They can destroy marriages, friendships, families, careers, and even countries. The power of our words. And we get to verse 8, and I want to look at verse 8 again. And it's kind of the pinnacle of despair, in one sense, in this passage. It says, No human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. No human being can tame the tongue. I read that, and I'm tempted to to carefully throw up my arms in despair and say, wait, nobody can tame the tongue? Well, what's the point then? You're saying no matter how hard I try, I'm going to keep failing. It can't be done? It's pretty hopeless. Sounds hopeless. So I want to give you some hope this morning. 100% right. No human can tame the tongue. You can't do it. I can't do it. God can. God can tame the tongue. God can tame the tongue. So we don't have to resign ourselves to defeat regarding our tongues and the things that we say. Because through trusting in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, His death in our place for our sins, including things that we have said, and then trusting in His resurrection, we not only receive forgiveness of our sins, and eternal life, the promise of being with God forevermore, but the scriptures also say that we are born again or made new by the power of the Holy Spirit who works in us to change us, including our speech, so that bit by bit, more and more, we become like Jesus. This is the hope of the gospel. You see, we don't need more self-help books on how to control the tongue. Though they might have some useful things in there. And we don't need to just grit our teeth and be like, personal reformation, personal reformation. We can do it. What we need is divine transformation. That's what we need. And thankfully, that's what God offers. That's what he offers. Jesus died for us. He grants us salvation not only for eternity with him, but for the present now that we could grow, love, grow, serve and multiply, and be more like him, including our tongues. So we need to call out to Jesus and say, help me, Lord, change me. Change my heart and change my tongue. Why did I just say change my heart? I thought we were talking about the tongue. Well, here's the reality. According to Jesus... While the tongue is an issue, it's not actually the issue. Luke 6.45 says the heart is the issue. Luke 6.45, Jesus says, The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The heart moves the tongue. Our words are just an extension of our heart. That's why we desperately need God's help. We don't need just a tongue replacement surgery. We need heart surgery. And praise the Lord, 
He does it. He does it. If we call out to him. Now, James has laid out this lengthy explanation of the power of our words. He moves towards giving a strong exhortation to the church in verses 9 to 12. Verse 9 says, with it, still talking about the tongue, with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So again, using common illustrations, James goes right after the hypocrisy and the folly of blessing God with their tongues and then turning around and cursing people. He's saying, for the Christian, this should never happen. To come on Sunday morning and to sing songs like we just have and declaring how awesome and great and wonderful God is and then the service is over and to look at somebody and to, and to curse at them and to say horrible things to them. A person who's made in the image of God, created by God, designed by God, loved by God, doesn't make sense. It's not consistent, which is the whole point. Salt water, fresh water, a spring is one or the other. It's not both. And so James' strong exhortation is that we would have a consistent, God-honoring, people-blessing speech. That's the exhortation. Like we've said, we're called to control our tongues. And and sometimes we might say, okay, okay, I'm not going to curse people. So then we... Because we're people, we like to, we like to make lists. Um, and we say, these, these words are the words I won't say. Those are the bad words. All right, I'm good. I won't say those bad words anymore. So we're fine. But that's not actually what James is saying. That's not actually what the New Testament gets at. If you're one of those people who's like, well, that's okay. I didn't say those specific words. I'm all good. I'm sorry. Um, Ephesians 4.29 doesn't let you off the hook. Okay. Ephesians 4.29 Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. But only what's good that can build up and give grace to those who hear. Woo! It's been reported that the average man says 7,000 words in a day. The average woman, 20,000. But regardless of the number of words that you say, the issue is how many of those words are corrupting? And how many of those words are giving grace and building up? In verses 11 and 12, James uses these natural illustrations to continue to drive home this point. Guys, figs don't grow on a grapevine. Fresh water doesn't come from a salt pond. Blessing and cursing should not be coming from the same place. From our mouth. This is a struggle. Like, let's be honest, this is hard. And because it's such a struggle, we want to help you this morning, okay? So as you leave, we're going to hand everybody a zipper, and, and our ushers will be happy to uh, sew them right up into your mouths, zip them closed for you, and bless you, and, and then just send you on your way. Problem solved, right? As funny as that would be to do, it doesn't actually solve the problem, as we've learned, as we've talked about, because the problem isn't the tongue. The problem is the heart. 
We're not actually handing out zippers. Some of you still look a little like, uh, not quite sure as this is happening. The problem is our heart, and only Jesus can change the heart, and that will help change our speech. Sinclair Ferguson said this about the first three chapters of James. He says, We can see that spiritual maturity develops through suffering, chapter 1, is enhanced by a response to the Word of God, that's chapter 2, and is evidenced by the use of our tongue. Evidenced by the use of our tongue. So in other words, it should be fairly clear to others that you are a believer in Jesus and are growing in your faith by the things that you say or don't say and how you say them. It should be. That, that, that's the teaching of the New Testament. A Christian's tongue is supposed to be different than the rest of the world because according to Scripture, the Christian has been changed, has become a new creation in Christ and has the Spirit of God living within J. Sidlow Baxter has also said this. He says, One of the first things that happens when a man is truly converted and really filled with the Holy Spirit is not that he speaks in a whole bunch of tongues, but that he learns how to control the one tongue he already has. But I hope you caught the key ingredient in that quote. Filled with the Holy Spirit. By the power of God's Spirit in us, we learn. It's not perfect immediately, right? Don't be like, oh, it's okay, okay, okay. Jesus, help my tongue. Okay, tomorrow morning it's all perfect. You're never going to stumble ever again. It is a process. It's a learning process. That's what grow is. You get a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more as you rely on the Spirit's power to change you. And so I want to give you some actual helpful hints. The zipper thing, not good. I want to give you some actual helpful things that will help us in this process. Just some key phrases that I think should be said often and should be said from the heart. You're probably familiar with some of these. The first one is, please. And thank you. Life-giving. Right? Next one, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. How about this one? I love you, or I still love you. I'm praying for you. Now, if you're going to tell someone that you're praying for them, be sure that you're actually praying for them, right? It's kind of that Christian thing. Oh, yeah, praying for you, praying for you, praying for you. And you're like, wait, did I actually? Or just say, right? I have been blessed a number of times in my life, I've had people come up to me and say, hey, how's that thing going on in your life? You know, our family was praying for you about that. And I go, what? You guys actually took time out of your schedule to not just pray for the things going on in your life, because I know you got stuff going on in your life. If you took time out of your day to pray for me and my family, that builds up. That gives grace. That encourages life-giving phrase. Another thing that can help us in this battle would be to pray the words of Psalm 141, verse 3, every day. You know, sometimes you read the Bible and you forget that something's in there. Check this one out. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Huh. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Calling out to God. God, I need you. I need you to set a guard over my mouth. Because every time I do, he takes a break. He falls asleep at the job. 
And he's not very good. I need you, Lord, to be the filter of the things that come out of my mouth. And I know, hopefully some of you can, can also testify to this, sometimes you're about to say something, and it's like there's something that grabs your tongue or just slams your lips shut. It's like, whoa, whoa. what happened there? And it's like God going, I'm guarding your mouth, man. You're going to do something dumb. I'm guarding your mouth. And you go, oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. It's working by His grace. The process is working. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. We need God's help every day, all day. Man, I'm telling you, I'm so thankful, though. God not only is able to help us, but He's willing. He loves to help His children in this. If we seek Him and ask Him for help, He will help us. And we'll be able to bit by bit tame our tongues. You know, in these 12 verses we've looked at today, we've seen, again, there's this warning, and the explanation for that warning, and the exhortation. We've also discovered or rediscovered, been reminded, that again, the problem isn't the tongue, the problem is our heart. Changed heart leads to a changed life, leads to changed speech. And we've been reminded, or maybe heard for the first time this morning, that change is possible today by the grace of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. He has the power to grant us salvation. He definitely has the power to help us tame our tongue. Let's ask Him for that help. Let's confess that we haven't asked Him for help, and that we've tried to do it on our own. Let's seek his wisdom and say, Lord, set a guard over my mouth so that everything that I say honors you and blesses others. Let's pray together. Father God, it is so hard for us to tame our tongues. And I'm so thankful that the truth of your word tells us that we don't have to try to do it on our own. We can't. We will keep on failing. I'm so thankful, Jesus, that you came. You came. You died in our place. You paid for our sins. Not, Not only so that we could have eternal life with you one day in heaven, but so that we could be changed and live different lives now, including our speech. And I pray that for each one of us. Lord, I pray that for myself. You know, Lord, I need this. God, I pray for our church. How incredible would it be if not only just on Sundays when we gather, but when any other time that we happen to meet each other, that it's only words that build up and encourage and give grace and honor you. What a... What a place this could be. And beyond that, what impact and power and influence we could have on each other and on our neighbors and people who who don't yet know you. So I pray for that, Lord. Set a guard over our mouths this morning and forevermore. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.